This is Fostering Conversations with Utah Foster Care, where we have insightful conversations about parenting for bio, foster, adoptive, or blended families to better understand the experiences we all face as families. Welcome, Utah families. Today's topic is one that's relevant for all parents out there. As we all know, February is the month of love. And today we're going to talk about a specific kind of love that's so hard for many of us. And that kind of love is called self-compassion. Many of us are are reluctant to give ourselves a break. We're um, especially foster parents can be full of love and wanting to express that love, but it comes it comes down to taking care of yourself and that if you can take care of yourself, then you're going to um, be a better parent. But we're eager to hear your thoughts on this topic, so be sure to give us a review and all of your feedback online when this is over. I'm Deborah Lindner with Utah Foster Care, along with my colleague, Liz Rivera. She's the Director of Education with Utah Foster Care. Welcome, Liz. Thank you, Deborah. It's so nice to always be with you, to be with you always. <laughs> <laughs> Liz, I know you've been training foster parents for what, some 20 years yeah. um, or so. Why do you think they have such a hard time with feeling compassion for themselves? So I had one foster dad explain it this way. He said, sitting in class and hearing about what it takes to be a foster parent and what the issues the kids may have, he said, you imagine the best version of yourself showing up. He said, and then the worst version of yourself shows up. And he said, and and he, he talks about being really surprised by that and really discouraged by that. And then he goes on to talk about why it's so important then to develop that sense of self-compassion. So you can go on and restart with the kids. But I would say as a parent, that's, that's true of all parenting. You know, we see parenting, parenthood in this very romantic way. And uh, when it comes to, you're right, you see the best and worst of yourself. Well, let's move forward. And uh, Liz introduces to our two guests today. So we're so excited. Um, we have, this is, I think our ninth episode, if I, if I'm counting correctly, and uh, we have Jennifer Ayers and I'm hoping, am I saying Ayers right? That's correct. Okay. And then Christy Engel, and they are our first out of state guests, um, which is so exciting. We've had local folks join us and now we're expanding our vision um, and our view. And we're so grateful that we have um, Drs. Engel and Ayers um, to be with us today. So I'm just going to uh, read a quick introduction so you have a better idea of, of, uh, of their um you know, what they're going to be talking to you about today. So Dr. Jennifer Ayers and Christy Engel are Austin-based clinical psychologists who met at a teacher training hosted by the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion. Their desire to help children, teens, and parents learn how to treat themselves with more kindness created an immediate connection with one another. They have a heart for families involved in the foster care system and are grateful for the personal and professional experiences that have helped them better understand the unique challenges of that foster parents face. So as you can tell, not only are they well-qualified, um, you know, professionally, but also personally um, to join us and talk about this today. So we just want to really start with a very broad question and we'll let either one of you pick it up who wants to, but just how you would define self-compassion. Thanks so much for having us too. We're both just really excited to be here and be able to connect with you guys. Um, 
in general, the idea of self-compassion is as simple, but as challenging in some ways as treating ourselves with the same kindness and respect that we would treat a dear friend with. So that begs the next question. Why is it so hard? When, when we can be kind to our friends, why can we then not be kind to ourselves? That's the million dollar question for all of us, isn't it? Right. And I, I think what gets in the way is this pesky inner critic that is our 24 seven companion that sits inside of our brain and just has an ongoing monologue of what we are not doing well and what we could be doing better. And so we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. And as parents, we are particularly vulnerable to that. And I think social media has made it harder for us as well. You know, people don't post the hard moments of parenting on social media, they post the, the wonderful moments, right? And somebody, I once heard somebody say that you are comparing your behind the scenes experience to somebody else's highlight reel. Mm-hmm. And I think that has really contributed to an ongoing struggle for self-compassion. And I think also what you were sharing, Liz, that the the foster parent had shared with you about that, the version, which version of ourselves show up. I think it's also not just comparing ourselves to others, but comparing ourselves to the idea we have of who we should be. Mm -hmm. And that gap often that exists between who we think we should be and maybe who we are in a moment or how we think we should act and how we've acted in a moment, that gap is a place where I think there's a lot of pain. Um, And that's where that inner critic can show up. And then the shame spiral that we can can fall into in that moment can really kind of suck, pull us in. So is there anything that somebody maybe preparing to be a foster parent can, can somehow prepare for that inevitable gap between what you expect and the reality? Well, Christy, how about if I take this one? Um, I, I am an ex-foster parent, and I wish desperately I had had training and mindful self-compassion before I experienced that wonderful journey. And it was a very meaningful period of time, but I think foster parenting is in particular going to make us vulnerable for that because we also have this idea of we have to get them this experience that they didn't have before they came to us, which then in turn makes it, makes it harder for us to find compassion for ourselves and the struggle and how hard it is every day. Like I was, I was talking to Christy about this when we were preparing for this podcast and I suddenly was flooded with all of these visions of trying to figure out how to get my child, my foster children to these different appointments, hold on to a job, manage my house and handle all of these things at the same time. Because in some ways, when you become a foster parent, your life is really no longer as much about you and what you need. And you have these multiple systems that you're trying to navigate with wonderful support, you know, from at least in Texas with our foster care support agencies, which are amazing, but it still is really hard to juggle it all. And that's where self-compassion comes in because self-compassion is not about trying to erase the struggle. Self-compassion is about saying, oh, I'm having a hard time right now. 
let me pause, let me breathe, and let me try to kind of settle down my autonomic nervous system just a little bit so that I can approach this struggle right in front of me with a little bit more grace and compassion. So it sounds like there you're bringing in that, that word that we've referenced a little bit already, which is mindful. So not just self-compassion, but mindful self-compassion. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about that component of it? Yeah. You know, the mindfulness parts that we, the idea of mindful self-compassion, there really are three different components. And the first part is the mindfulness, which is really the way we're talking about it. It's really just slowing down in the moment to be aware of what's going on being aware of what's happening, accepting it, accepting doesn't mean we like what's happening um, in the moment. I, I don't, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't like to feel stressed out um, or overwhelmed, but I can acknowledge that is what I'm feeling in the moment because we, first, in order to care for ourselves and bring ourselves some kindness, we first have to acknowledge that we need it, that there's something going on in, in this moment um, that means I need to slow down and offer myself some kindness. Is it often recognizing the physical signs that each one of us have? Tell us a little bit about how to recognize that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, so it's one thing potentially to notice I'm having a particular feeling, but then really, like you said, paying attention to what does that feel like in my body? Um, what are the, the cues that my body is giving me in this moment? So for many of us, you know, stress or anxiety might feel like tightness and tension somewhere in our shoulders or our neck might feel like a headache or our stomach is starting to churn. So it really is mindfulness. is about getting to know our, ourselves and know what's happening in this moment. What does stress feel like to me? What does shame feel like to me? Um, so that then I can respond to it. And we know that our bodies often respond to care faster than our minds. So if we notice our bodies feeling something, then we can slow down and make a choice about what do I want to do in this moment? Um, It really is like pressing pause so that we're able to choose a response instead of just going on autopilot and reacting, reacting, reacting to everything. Just so easy, I think, to do. (laughs) Yeah, it takes a lot of intention not to do it, I think. Mm -hmm. It really does. Mm-hmm. Now, what about that person who maybe in that moment, they, they can recognize that they're feeling stressed and they're feeling overwhelmed, but they don't, their tendency isn't to turn to self-compassion. It's to turn to judgment or, you know, blame or, you know, any of those things. How do, how do, how do we help folks make um, a choice that maybe is different and also believe that there is a different choice and that they deserve a different choice? Mm-hmm. Uh, such a great question. And, and mindful self-compassion, which is the name of a structured program that was created by two psychologists, they talk a lot about the inner critic. And in one of the classes, in fact, it's the class that I taught last night, one of the activities is about how do you start to understand what's behind the ramblings of our inner critic. And when we start to approach that monologue with curiosity, what we oftentimes find is that there was a lot of really great intentions that just got misdirected, Hmm. right? So most of the time, our inner critical monologue is about trying to keep us safe, trying to protect us from harm. And, but what happened was it got confused 
and it went in the wrong direction. And so when we can learn to even befriend that inner critical voice, it loses its power over us. And we can then, you know, proceed forward with a little bit more kindness and compassion. Yeah. And I would say that an, another aspect of that inner critic is also often trying to help us be the best version of ourselves, right? It may be trying to help us improve mm -hmm. in some way, but it's going about it in this way that ultimately adds to our struggle sometimes. And so, you know, like Jennifer was saying, um, one of the things that we, you know, encourage, we try to do ourselves certainly and encourage folks to do is again, that mindfulness piece, notice what the inner critic is saying, but then stop to consider, is there, is there another voice? What would a good, what would a coach or a, a favorite teacher who really tried to motivate you say in this moment? Because often those people, mentors in our lives, those people that we really respected, they also wanted what was best for us, but they tried to motivate us with encouragement um, instead of this harsh criticism. Um, I was talking with another therapist recently and we were talking about a different concept, but it really rang true for me in this regard, this idea of clean fuel and dirty fuel. When we think about our cars, um, and if we, we can put fuel in the car and if it's clean fuel, it's going to help us, you know, move along. Our car should work fine. Get us where we want to go. Dirty fuel may also do that initially, but then we're going to start to have a problem. We, we may get a certain distance and then it may stop altogether. Our car may start having other problems. And so we can sometimes think of the inner critic and this other more compassionate voice in similar ways. That inner critic may help us in some way. But ultimately, it's, there's going to be a cost to it. Um, it may not get us as far as we want to go. We may have other struggles versus this other more encouraging voice um, may help us get a little bit further like clean fuel. So is it a good idea to have come up with perhaps some several phrases you can say to yourself or actually do something physical? What, what are some tried and true? Well, nothing's tried and true, <laughs> but some, some quick things in a moment that a foster parent can do. Mm -hmm. Well, one of my go-tos is just taking a deep breath mm -hmm. and kind of having a phrase in my own voice that I can repeat to myself with breathing and that, you know, breathing. And it's funny, I teach kids a lot and I've taught teens and kids and adults and everybody. And deep breathing ultimately is one of the best strategies we have to calm everything down and encourage us to focus. Another strategy that I like a lot is listing gratitudes. And you remember that wonderful scene in The Sound of Music about my favorite things and they're, you know, you know kind of cavorting in the room with, during the thunderstorm. And the song is about what are my favorite things? What are my gratitudes? And it's not the big ones, my health, my house, my family, all of those things are wonderful. It's the small things and being grateful. And what that does is it helps us balance our perspective in those moments when our inner critic is perhaps taking over and misguiding us. And uh, Christy, you wanna share one um, of our other strategies? Yeah, you know, I think there are a number, um, Deborah, as you were saying, there's some really physical things that we can do in those moments also. And, you know, thinking for a moment about what is, you know, what does it feel like when we receive a hug from someone that we know loves us and accepts us and cares about us? 
or you know they reach out and put a hand on our shoulder in some way or you know what does it feel like when we're petting our our dog or our cat um we're flooded with with oxytocin in those moments that cuddle um a hormone gets activated and one of the things that we've learned is that we can create that same experience for ourselves by offering ourselves a soothing gesture of some kind so it really is for everyone that gesture could be different. It's about finding what works and what feels comfortable for any particular person. Um, you know, it might be something like just a hand on the heart for a moment where you really slow down and you notice the feeling of warmth from your hands. Um, it might be just holding your hands together or kind of offering yourself a gentle squeeze, almost like a, a gentle hug. Um, again, the, the specific gesture doesn't matter as much as slowing down to offer it with a sense of kindness and warmth to ourselves. That's wonderful. And something that could be done in the moment on the fly, um, someone could do. Absolutely. And there are some that you can do and they can be really subtle so that no one knows that you're doing them, you know, just holding your hands together. No one else is going to know that what you're doing in that moment is really trying to reset yourself. Uh, and offer some comfort and soothing. Yeah. One of one of my favorites is a takeoff on the airline about put your own mask on first, mm -hmm. right? And so what you do is it, it's called one for me, one for you. And so you take in a deep breath and kind of bring either self-compassion or peace or whatever it is you're trying to cultivate, bring it in for me. And then I'm going to blow it out for you, right? So it's compassion for me compassion for you. And that can look, um, you know, I worked in healthcare for a long time. And one of my colleagues was doing this exercise with a group of um, workers who were very frustrated with one person in particular. And she said, well, sometimes it might look like this, a lot of self-compassion for me and just a little bit for you. And then, <laughs> and then what that does. And what I love about that exercise is it brings humor in, right? Like, I think that's the other thing. We have this idea that it needs to always be serious and self-compassion is also supposed to be about having fun mm. and balancing the struggle with the fun. And I think as foster parents, goodness gracious, we need a lot more of that uh, so that we can kind of model for them also about how to find compassion. And those moments are really hard. Yeah. And sometimes that, you know, they talk about being able to laugh at yourself, but maybe that mm -hmm. is a form of self-compassion. As long as it's not ridicule, yeah. it's just, yeah, oh my goodness, here I go again, kind of, you know, mm -hmm. a little bit more of that, that change of tone that Christy was talking about a little bit earlier. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things we hear a lot from prospective foster parents, they're saying, oh, that person is the saint, you know, mm -hmm. foster parents, you have to be a saint. And I just couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. um, what is one way, again, some of this comes with preparation, not just in the moment, but thinking about foster parenting and how one, one of the foster parents um, asked this question when we put it on our uh, private Facebook page, how can self-compassion help me handle the guilt about taking time for self-care when my children have so many needs. Yeah, there's, we could probably talk about that question for <laughs> hours. Um, you know, I, I 
I love, um, as Jennifer said, that um, oxygen mask analogy, because I, I, you know, I do think that that's really true. And so sometimes just reminding ourselves um, in those moments that caring for myself is also caring for my child. It's what allows me to care for my child um, can be a helpful, a helpful thing to remember. Um, you know, I also I, just thinking about this concept, the other concept um, in mindful self-compassion is this idea of common humanity that's, um, and part of common humanity is that we do all struggle. We do all need to take time for ourselves um, at times that doesn't, we're all imperfect. Um, that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with us. It means that we're human. And so being able to remind ourselves in those moments, if the tendency of that inner critic is to say, what's wrong with you that you need this time? How can you be doing this right now? You should be, right? A lot of those shoulds, you should be doing X, Y, and Z. Um, slowing down to just be able to say, you know, in this moment, I am feeling guilty. I know that all parents feel this way sometimes. That, that is part of life. I'm not alone in feeling this way. Um, sometimes that in and of itself can be a helpful support, just recognizing we're not the only ones. Mm -hmm. It seems like when people can be honest where they struggle, that allows someone else to be honest or, or, or be safe enough to feel they can, they can accept and, and see their own struggle too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, there are lots of questions that we can ask ourselves when we're trying to better understand self-compassion or see how it might relate to our lives. One of my favorite questions um, is, what would I say to a friend? Mm. So, you know, in a situation like that, if I, as a parent, am feeling guilty because I do need even just two minutes <laughs> to myself, um, you know, and I'm feeling guilty about it, and I slow down and think, well, Christy, what would you say to a, a friend? who is in this situation and then trying to offer that to myself, that's often, that can be a helpful tool. Talking to other foster parents as well. We encourage all of our foster parents to join our foster parent support groups. And some people, again, it's setting the right expectation, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It yeah. is. And it touches to that piece of common humanity, which is that we forget we weren't intended to handle all of these things on our own and that there are other people out there who know exactly how hard I am struggling right now and they're willing to help. And, the de and it decreases our isolation, which only really fuels our anxiety ultimately. And, you know, I was thinking too, while I was listening to Christy talk, they've done a lot of research on mindful self-compassion. One of the founders is a researcher here, actually here in Austin at the University of Texas. And what they have found is that, that people who take time to do mindful self-compassion, the research shows us very clearly, they tend to be more compassionate to others. Mm. And so the best gift we can actually give to our children and our foster care children is to find self-compassion so that we have more resources to give them and we have better emotional energy to handle their needs. And I think another thing that may be helpful to keep in mind um, is that self-compassion doesn't have to take a lot of time. It's not like we need to set aside hours to offer this to ourselves. I mean, we can, if we had that time, that's amazing. Um, but it's really the small moments 
it's small moments in the day where we might be able to incorporate things in a more realistic way. So one moment I was thinking about from last week, I was um, making a very gourmet dinner of microwave popcorn one night. (laughs) And as I was standing there in front of the microwave, waiting for dinner to to be ready, um, I just started really paying attention to um, my feet. There's a practice, uh, an exercise that we can do where we really just focus all of our attention on the soles of our feet and what they feel like in the moment. Um, And so I just naturally started doing that standing there in front of the microwave. You know, it took the two minutes or whatever for the microwave uh, popcorn to be ready, but that in and of itself got me out of my head when my thoughts had been swirling and racing, got me out of my head, focused on a physical sensation that helped me reset in that moment. And once again, another practice that can be done pretty much anywhere. And in- yeah, it can be done anywhere. It can be done standing up, sitting down. Um, you know, if we have time, we can go through it more a little bit later in the podcast as an exercise together. But in another thing, Jennifer, I love what you said earlier about gratitude and really slowing down to savor something. So I don't know about you guys, but for me, my morning cup of coffee mm-hmm. is one necessary, but also that first sip of coffee is like sacred <laughs> to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not that I'm sitting there focused on the whole cup because most mornings I don't necessarily have time to sit and savor the entire cup, but even just savoring one sip of it for me is a moment of joy. Um, and so it can be just slowing down to savor one little thing that helps us get through. And sometimes that, that means you have to actually think about it ahead of time. Okay. What are the things I savor? What are the best times of day for me? And you may have to write them down. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and I think recognizing there is no perfection in any of this. And I have to say, I am definitely a recovering perfectionist. So I have to, you know, I want to be really honest about that. And that there are mornings when my intention is to savor that first cup of coffee, but I get up, I go grab the coffee and I go on autopilot and I've taken that first sip without savoring it. So maybe I savor the fifth sip, you know, or the 10th sip or something later in the day. And that's okay. Um, because it's setting that, in- it's that intention like you're talking about. Yeah. Another, another question that we get from foster parents, what do I do in those moments when I feel inadequate as a parent? And I really wonder whether or not I'm cut out for foster parenting. We have a lot of people that after maybe three months will say, I don't know, maybe we made a mistake. Um, What is something you can do? Um, I mean, that's not just in the moment that's saying, okay, we, we want to end our license. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've been there. I know that stress. I know that um, questioning. And it always for me happens at night when I am exhausted and about ready to go to bed. And one of my first pieces of advice is you don't make any decision about anything um, at night, right before you go to bed because you just have that as a goal that you just don't do that and it gets better. And this is again, where our inner critic becomes someone that we need to find a way to connect with and befriend. Okay, what is going on right now? I'm really having a hard time. I need to settle 
down and just allow this to be a really hard moment that I'm living. And that's, that's a mindfulness part of a mindful self-compassion and talking to ourselves, as Christy was saying, with this friendly voice, what would my friend say to me if she were sitting here right now and hearing the rambling of my inner critic, what she would probably say is stop. That's not fair. You know, mindful self-compassion, I, you know, one of my favorite aspects of it is they have this idea of the, you know, the yin yang symbol, right? Which has this idea of light and darkness and this kind of the dichotomy of our duality of, of different things. One of the things they talk about is with self-compassion, there are really two different approaches. And sometimes with self-compassion, what we need is softer, more nurturant energy, we need the kindness, like, oh my goodness, this is a hard time right now. Uh, this, I'm just going to sit here and allow this to be a hard time. Other times we need the energy, we need the, the motivation, we need the boundaries, we need the limits, we need the action. And so part of it is stopping when that inner critic starts going and spinning and saying, what do I really need right now? What's going to be helpful? Do I need the equivalent of, of a hug, really, I need to be just kind of nurtured and told that I'm doing the best I can and this is okay? Or do I need somebody to say enough, pause and stop? And one of the um, strategies that they recommend in the mindful self-compassion class that I love is that when you're in that moment where you need the boundary and you need the, the energy, that you stand up and you just kind of try to bend your knees a little bit and just hold your body in horse stance, right? Or in a squat position. And what will happen is you'll feel your muscles tighten up and put your hands on your hips in a superhero pose. Suddenly you'll feel yourself feeling stronger. And a lot of our inadequacy is, I'm scared I'm not doing this right. And then coming back and saying, there's not a right or wrong way to do it. And again, you don't have to figure it all out by yourself. This is when you reach out. Probably one of the best resources I had when I was a foster parent. And my foster, my babies were eight months old when they moved in. And they moved in, there was three hours of notice and they just arrived one Friday night. That's, uh, that's a whole other podcast. I can happily come back and talk about like another time because believe me. Um, <laughs> and one of the best things I did was at night when it would get really, really hard is I would call my foster care rep, my social worker and have her talk to me and just be like, wait, stop. Look at all these awesome things you've done. Look at how great those kids are doing. Tonight's a hard night. And so again, it's like, it's amazing when we reach out our hand and we say, hey, I need some support right now, which is really hard to do. Especially when we think we need to figure it all out on our own. But when we reach out with vulnerability and get support in return, suddenly you're like, oh, okay, I can do this. Yeah. So designating a, someone else who can reflect that back yes. on you, reflect reality. Those, these are, these have been such great, great tips. I just, I just love hearing this. Um, and Liz, any, any final, final thoughts to add? So I just, I just want to just kind of a, a reiterate two of the things that really stood out for me is one is that self-critic is trying, maybe trying to help keep us safe. And mm -hmm. so that compassion we have is not only for ourselves but for that critic too. Mm -hmm. And not fight, maybe fight so hard against that. And then what Christy talked about also the, just the tone of the critic that maybe if I can sh shift the tone 
um, even if maybe what they're saying, what the critic is saying might be helpful, if the tone isn't helpful, it isn't going to be. So try to shift the tone of that of that critic too. So mm-hmm. those are two things that really stood out for me as very helpful personally, as well as I think our families. Mm-hmm. So good, solid tips. We've just begun to scratch the surface, but there's much more out there. Uh, thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Christy. Both of both of these ladies joined us from Austin today. Thank you, Liz Rivera, my co-host. Um, we want to um, invite all foster parents to continue listening to our Fostering Conversations podcast. And once again, for self-compassion, the first thing I'd say is join our online foster parent support groups. Find somebody that can be that support for you that you need. And remember, self-care and compassion are important every day of our lives. When we're better parents, then we, when we're better, when we feel better about ourselves, we can be better parents and in turn do the job that we want to do with our children. Well, thank you to all the moms and dads out there in Utah for listening. We'll continue this podcast uh, next month. And in the meantime, so long, everybody. This has been Fostering Conversations with Utah Foster Care. Thank you for joining us. For more information, go to utahfostercare.org. We'll see you next time 